Good morning. It's good to see everybody out this morning to worship our Heavenly Father. I appreciate each and every one of you being here this morning. I uh, appreciate that when you heard that Leonard wasn't here and I'd be filling in, you didn't get up and leave. Um, I would not have blamed you if you had been tempted to do that. But uh, it is good to see everybody out. Josh, I, I liked that what you did there. I might have to steal that in the future. That, that I, I really like the way that uh, turned out, going right from one song to the other. Uh, of course, Leonard is traveling uh, along with Elizabeth and her family and Chris, of course. And we uh, pray that they have a safe journey. They have a good time down there in Florida. I, I understand that they were going to try to go to Disney World three days, um, which sounds like a lot of fun until you actually try that. Um, I know a few years ago, uh, Lori and, and Lillian and I went down there and we did two days and, and I was ready f for about three days of sleep after that. But um, they aren't going in the hottest time of the year like we did. And uh, so hopefully they'll have a good time. I'm sure they've found a congregation down there to worship with this morning. And we hope that they, as well as everybody else, has a safe trip uh, home from wherever they may be in traveling as well. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 is a very comforting passage of Scripture. Um, to know that all things work together for good is something that we should all put our faith, hope, and trust in. And while it's one of the most uplifting and comforting Scriptures that we have in the New Testament, I believe, we also need to, you know, I think it's important for us to point out that this promise is for Christians that all things will work together for good. Now you may say, well, Brother Steve, it doesn't say there, and all things work together for them uh, that are Christians. But notice there that it says, for those that love God. Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. So we understand that if we love God, we're going to obey the gospel. We're going to be obedient to those things that he has told us to do. And therefore, Christians are the ones that are obedient to the Gospel and therefore love God. Notice also it says that those are called, that are called to His purpose. We see in 1 Timothy chapter 1 that it says there, "...who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began." So notice here, that those that are called and are saved according to His purpose and grace, those are Christians. Christians are called and are saved by grace. So we see here that since Christians are obedient and therefore love God and also are called and saved according to His purpose, then Romans chapter 8, verse 28 is talking to Christians that all things work together for good for them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. Now we can take comfort in this passage of Scripture as Christians for many reasons, and we're going to spend the next few minutes together looking at a few of those ways and uh, some other promises of God where we can put our faith, hope, and trust in the fact that as Christians, all things work together for good. So all things work together for good first because of the promise that we will be provided for. 
Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, one of my favorite passages of Scripture says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So we see here that again, Christians are the ones that seek first the kingdom of God and righteousness. So again, this promise is for those that are Christians. But what's really being talked about here? Well, if you turn over with me to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to begin reading in verse 25. It says there, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field which, is, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe, ye, clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take thought no thought saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewith shall we be clothed? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Notice here that God, if, as we read those passages of Scripture, what God is promising us there in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, if we keep our priorities in the right place, is that we will be provided for. Now notice what, he, what He's talking about here. He's not talking about providing us riches. He's not talking about providing us wealth. He's not talking about providing us excess of material things. No, what this promise is dealing with is the necessities of life. Food. Notice, he says that he provides for the birds what they shall eat. That they take no thought of those things because they know they will be provided for. I was up uh, at the hunting property yesterday and spend a good day of the, of the uh, good day a good deal of the time in a tree stand, and every once in a while you'd hear a very distinct sound of an acorn at the top of an oak tree falling off that oak tree and hitting each branch as it came down, and then boom, hitting the ground. God is providing food for the squirrels and for the deer and for the other creatures that live of those things. And it, it struck me at that moment as you hear those acorns falling from that tree that if God is willing to provide for the squirrels and the deer and the birds, how much more is He willing to provide for those of us that are trying to live our lives according to His, to His commandments? So we see that food will be uh, 
provided for us. We also see that we should not worry about what we're going to put on our body because clothing will be provided for us as well. And he talks about the lilies of the field and how Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed as such of those. One of the other things that I noticed while I was out yesterday was the leaves turning colors. I, I hunted a couple of weeks ago and it was still very green out. And when it's green out, it's still very beautiful. But there were certain trees that had turned a bright fluorescent yellow. It almost looked like they were electrified. They were so bright in the sunlight. And how beautiful that was. And that there's nothing that I could put on my body that could compare to that. Yet God said He will provide clothing for us. And then of course, we also understand that another necessity of life is shelter. And we understand that if we put our faith in this promise, if we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, if we, if we seek to be obedient to His commands and become Christians, and we try to live a righteous life, on a day-to-day basis, then we're not going to have to worry about these things because they will be provided for us. And when you think about that, we can have faith in that promise. We can put our faith and trust in that promise because that's part of that promise that all things work together for our good as Christians. Another way, another promise that comes into play here is Um, All things work together for our good because of the promise that we will not be tempted above that we can handle. If you have your Bibles, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. Another very comforting passage of Scripture for, for those of us that are Christians, which says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as it is common to man, but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. When you look at this promise, we realize that this means that God is still in control no matter what happens. You know, it's very easy to look at what's going on in the wor- around the world today and start to question whether God is still in control. I like to go back to the book of Job, and we're not going to read from the book of Job this morning, but if you remember in the book of Job, we see a scene where God has gathered together and the devil comes into that presence and wants to tempt Job. And if you notice, one of the most comforting things to me in that exchange is the devil can only do to Job what God allows him to do. We see that first the devil is allowed to do anything to Job except touch him. He's not to take Job's help. And when Job does not sin after he loses everything, including his family, you know, his sons and his daughters, then God allows the devil to touch Job but not take his life. And that's a lesson for us that no matter what happens to us in this life, God is still in control. God kept control over what the devil was allowed to do, what he could and couldn't do. And we see here that this promise means that when we face temptations, no matter how tough or difficult those temptations are, that God knows, God knows that we are strong enough to handle that temptation. Now, there are some that are tempted to say when they face trials and tribulations that 
that they're weak and they couldn't help sinning. But we see here that when we sin, we have no excuse. There's no excuse for us giving in to temptation. And I also always like to point out that this passage of Scripture is not telling us that the way of escape that we're promised here will be easy. There's no promise of that. There's promise that there's a way of escape, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be an easy way to go. You know, sometimes as human beings, we always want the easy way out, don't we? We always look for the path of least resistance. We're like water or electricity. We always try to find the easy path through something. The way of escape isn't always the easy way, is it? Sometimes the way of escape is something that we have to look for, that we have to search for. And not only do we have to look for it, but it may cost us. It may cost us friends and family. It may cost us jobs and income. It may cost us to be further persecuted and ridiculed. But notice, God knows that we can withstand it. And we should too. When we face difficult temptations, not only should we know that God knows that we're strong enough, but we should also be flattered that God thought so highly of us that He allowed us to be tempted in such a difficult manner. And not only should we be flattered about it, we should rejoice about it. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire." Wanting nothing. So we see here that we should count it joy when we fall into various temptations because we should be rejoicing that through those trials we're experiencing personal growth. But I also want us to realize that rejoicing through temptation helps us do one other thing it helps us keep the right attitude. You know, something that I learned many, many, many years ago that I've always tried to remember when I'm going through something difficult is there was a study done where psychologists said that it, when you're feeling down or sad or uh, you, you know, just not happy, that if you force yourself to smile, you move muscles in your face that only move when you're happy and that triggers certain signals in your brain and you automatically feel happier. Rejoicing through our trials and temptations, smiling through those trials and temptations can help us keep the right attitude about what we're going through. I submit to you this morning that it's very difficult to rejoice when you're going through trials and temptations and still handle them wrong by sinning or by giving up. Now that was a little bit of a complex statement, so let me repeat it. I believe that it's very difficult to rejoice while you're going through trials and temptations and still handle it improperly by sinning or by giving up. Is keeping the right attitude through trials and temptations difficult? Absolutely it is. But if we can rejoice and remember that God knows that we're strong enough to handle it, 
then it's very difficult for us to give in to that temptation or to succumb to that trial. So this is another promise that we can have faith in, that this promise works together for our good as Christians. And then the other thing that works together for good for us as Christians is because we have a promise of a home in heaven. Turn over with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. A passage of Scripture that I highly encourage you to try to commit to your memory for, that, for times when you're going through difficult times. It says there, John chapter 14, beginning of verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Notice here that the promise here for us as Christians is those that have obeyed the Gospel, there is room for us in heaven. That is of the utmost comfort. I can't think of anything more comforting than knowing that all of the trials and tribulations, all of the difficult times that we go through in this life, if we remain faithful in the death, there is a home in heaven waiting for us. To me, that is so comforting and it's so reassuring because it helps me keep things in the proper perspective. I've mentioned before when I filled in for Leonard before, there's a book, I've never read it, but I love the title. And it's Don't Sweat the Small Stuff and It's All Small Stuff. I don't think there's a better perspective for a Christian to have in this life than to remember that everything that we deal with here, if we remain obedient and faithful to God, it's not going to matter on the Day of Judgment as long as we remain faithful and try to be obedient to His Word. This promise here for us as Christians is of utmost comfort. And notice, this even goes back to the previous point as well. Another perspective to try to keep in mind is in this life, it's 10% what happens to us and 90% our attitude about it. And I believe that this promise can help us to keep the right attitude when it comes to, being, to suffering and to pain here in this life. This promise, I believe, makes everything we deal with and suffer here worth it all. After all, heaven should be our ultimate goal, shouldn't it? Each and every one of us as individuals should make it our goal to seize this promise that Jesus is, is making here and to take advantage of the grace that God has offered to us to make this the, the focus and goal of our lives to have a home in the hereafter. You know why? Because in heaven, everything here is going to pale in comparison. You know, I talked about being out hunting yesterday. That's, that's one of my favorite pastimes to do in my free time is to go out in the woods and just spend time in the wonderfulness that is God's nature. But all of that that I talked about earlier is going to pale in comparison to heaven. 
We have a song in our songbooks that came to mind as I was thinking about this point. It's number 373. Heaven will surely be worth it all. Often I'm hindered on my way, burdened so heavy I almost fall. Then I hear Jesus sweetly say, Heaven will surely be worth it all. Many the trials and toils and tears, many a heartache may hear a Paul. But the dear Lord so truly says, Heaven will surely be worth it all. Toiling and pain I will endure, till I shall hear the death angel call. Jesus has promised, and I'm sure, Heaven will surely be worth it all. Notice there it says, Heaven will surely be worth it all, far beyond sorrows that here befall. After this life, with all of its strife, heaven will surely be worth it all. You know, the opposite of suffering pain and trials and, and temptations here in this life would be a perfect existence in this life. But if you think about that, what would that matter if at the end of it we didn't hear those words? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the comfort of thy Lord. So we should, again, rejoice when we go through difficult times here because heaven is surely going to be more incredible than anything that we could ever imagine. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 3 beginning there says, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. No matter what we go through in this life, if we make it in heaven, it's going to be worth it all because we won't have to deal with any of that when we make it there. Now we could go on to read more because the Bible gets very descriptive about the grandeur of heaven. That the 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 street that is as of gold and, and all the wonderfulness that the Bible describes in heaven. But it's important to point out that those are physical words trying to describe a spiritual place that is above our physical brain's capacity for how wonderful and grand it's going to be. As grand and wonderful as you think heaven's going to be, it's going to be infinitely better than that. We read these words where we see no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, and we think, oh, that's so wonderful, but it's going to be even better than that when we get there. Remember that it's going to be better. That heaven is so grand, but it's a spiritual place be above our understanding. But there's also one more important thing to think about with this promise of having a home in heaven. And that's the alternative. Because if we're disobedient, we're found to not be in favor with God at the end of our life or when Jesus returns back in the clouds, an eternity in hell is something that we all are going to want to avoid. Revelation verse 20 and verse 10 says, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where this beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. 
And then in Matthew chapter 13, beginning of verse 49, it says, So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from the just and shall cast them to the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. We're told in other passages where it's in complete darkness. There is no light. That the torment is eternal forever and forever. So we see that as grand and wonderful as heaven will be, hell is going to be the exact opposite. We read there in Revelation 21 that we're going to be with God and that we will be His people and He will be our God. In hell, it will be completely cut off in separation from our Heavenly Father. You know, it makes me think of those that don't believe in God. And the existence that they want to have where there is no God, well, they continue to live a life according to that. That's exactly what they're going to achieve. So while I don't think that we should only be, be, by, be motivated by not wanting to go to hell, it's some place that we should all want to avoid with every, every fiber of our being. But we can have faith in this promise. This promise of a home in heaven will work together for our good as Christians. So we need to have faith in all of these promises that we've looked at this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So as Christians, we should have faith in the promise that everything works for our good. In the promise that we will have the necessities of life provided for us. That we can handle any temptation that comes our way and that we can have a home in heaven. After all, the alternative to not having faith in these promises is to believe that only bad things await us. That we must be in need. That we must sin. And that God's grace isn't sufficient. I submit to you this morning that it's so much better to live a life holding on fast putting our faith and trust and hope in these promises that He's given us versus the empty existence that the alternative holds for us. As Christians, we should not think in that ladder. We should not be without hope. We should have hope and keep our faith and trust in our Heavenly Father. Now we've talked a lot this morning about the promises that God has given to those of us that are Christians. But maybe you're here today and you've never put your Lord on in baptism. Maybe you hear this lesson and you think, I don't want to live an empty life without hope. I want to have my hope and faith and trust in the truth of God's Word. You can make your life right this morning. If you've heard the Word, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if you're willing to repent of your sins, which means to turn away from them and do them no more, if you're willing to confess His name before men and be buried in the watery grave of baptism, you can take hold on these promises that He has given to us that are so comforting, that give our life purpose, that fill us with love and hope and trust in our Heavenly Father. Many of us here have done this. And you know, sometimes this 
life has a way of beating us down, doesn't it? Sometimes when we take our eye off the goal, we're like Peter who walked out on the water to meet Christ and began to sink when he took his focus off of Christ. I encourage you as a Christian, as somebody who's striving to live a life like Christ, to turn your eyes back to Christ, put your focus back on Him and His commandments and be obedient to them today. You know, one of the other promises that we have that we didn't get into, and I, and, and I hope that you understand that we've only scratched the surface of the promises that are given to those that are obedient to the Gospel of Christ this morning. One of the other promises is that if we walk in the light as He is in the light, the blood of Christ continually cleanses us from all unrighteousness. What that means is, is as we repent of our sins, He has promised us forgiveness through the continual washing of the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. How comforting is that? To know that no matter what you're standing with God is this morning, no matter what you've done wrong in the past, you can make your life right this morning. If you're in need of the watery grave of baptism, I encourage you to consider that this morning. If you've already done that and you need to turn your life back to God, I encourage you to do that as well. Whatever way you're subject to this this morning, come forward now as together as we stand and as we sing.